Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a history podcast where I try and teach music history to my wife. Yay! <laughs> learning! Yeah. So, how are you? Eh, you know. All right. I'm here. I'm happy to be hanging out with you. I hope this records well. Just yeah. behind the scenes info, we are having a lot of issues with our equipment today. So, you know, we're hoping this recording comes out all right. Yeah, and if not, then we're just going to have to do the whole thing over again, and all of my reactions will be super fake. Yes, which they are anyway, right? Right, yeah. Because you don't care. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you just make up reactions. I'm just like not fake. It's just like, oh, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're actually not even here. We just have like a soundboard of like pre-programmed reactions. (laughs) (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) All right. Well, uh... Last week, I said that this episode was going to be about, like, wrapping up the 19th century, talking about stuff like Tin Pan Alley and the birth of recorded music, but turns out that was a lie. That is not what we're talking about this week. How dare you mislead the (laughs) listeners. It was unintentional. They trust you. Whenever I originally, like, planned out the episodes and when we were going to talk about specific topics... I originally thought this one was going to be post-1900, but as I started researching, I realized, oh yeah, most of what I want to talk about right now is pre-1900, so I just kind of had to flip some things around and put it here. But that actually works out well, because it's a little bit of a surprise topic for you, because it's one I think you'll like, Yay. and I didn't want to like, I don't know, advertise it to you before we get to it. Do you have any idea what the topic is? I really don't. I have no You have no guesses? No, I have no guesses. All right. Because I don't know of anything that I would know of from this era. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Well, I mean, our audience already knows what it is. They can see the title of the episode and all that fun stuff. (laughs) But today, we're talking about Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) I am very happy. I literally, just before we did this was like maybe i should ask about musical theater but i was yeah. like i don't know talking about it a little bit today yeah and this one's it's it's a little bit of a struggle to talk about just because like it's so broad there's mm-hmm. so much and i honestly <laughs> i didn't even think about <laughs> i'm sorry i'll leave <laughs> <laughs> no i need you i'm not interesting <laughs> but i honestly like I'm thinking about making this its own season and just <gasps> having like a whole season about the history oh, of Broadway because it's so fascinating and there's so much and there's no way I can cover it all today. Oh, but that would be so cool. We're talking about like the birth of it and the founding of it today. Oh, and I don't know if I even know about this because yeah. I did take like some theater classes and all that fun stuff is something I've been very interested in since, gosh, like sixth grade. Um, so... I, I'm, but I don't know if I know where it, how it started, yeah. I guess. Well, we will try and teach you, I guess. I'm so excited, guys. <laughs> if you're excited about this topic, too, then you should tell us. Because I would love to hear a whole season of Broadway. Yeah. But if no one else is as interested as I am, then, you know, we'll do what the people want to <laughs> hear. But yeah, no, that's a good point. I should have said that, like. I think a lot of it is just going to be us deciding what we want to talk about in next seasons. But yeah, if anyone has any opinions, let us know because we want to talk about what people want to hear about. Opinions, suggestions. Yeah. 
but mostly back me up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, make this fun for Mika so she'll continue to do it with me. <laughs> uh, and that's a good segue. Let us know by following us on social media and talking to us on there. Follow us on Facebook, just facebook.com slash history, and on Twitter, twitter.com slash history with an underscore after it. That stinking underscore. <laughs> I hate it so much. But maybe when we're like super big and popular and successful, we can just like buy out the other one. Yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it, I guess. Broadway and its most basic is a street in New York, in Manhattan. But in terms of what we are talking about today, it refers to a small area in the theater district of Manhattan. And in order for a performance to be considered a Broadway show, it has to be held in one of the 40 theaters with, with 500 or more seats located in that particular area. I didn't know that, actually. Because, mm-hmm. like, I think we've seen, what, two plays on Broadway now? We've seen Harry Potter and we've seen Lion King. Why do I feel like we've seen something else? Well, we've seen an off-Broadway. We saw Drunk Shakespeare. Wow, that was off yeah. Broadway. That was that's all that we've seen. Yeah, that's By all that the we've way, seen if anyone Broadway. has the option and the chance to go see Drunk Shakespeare, oh my gosh, it was Absolutely. hilarious. It was you hilarious. do not have to like Shakespeare to enjoy Or drunk people. Well Well <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she held her liquor really well. But anyway, <laughs> just just a little side note. That was one of my favorite things. It was done it was great in New York City. It was a really fun time. Yeah. But I mean, okay, so we've seen two. Neither of them were actually on the street of Broadway, right? They were on like 40-something street or they were like right off Times Square. Right. So they weren't on Broadway. So like Broadway in this means one of those 40 theaters that are associated with Broadway. I think that's what most people think of anyway. Yeah, sure. Probably people don't even know Broadway's a street. Get to that. Whatever. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Broadway traces its origins back to 1750 when the very first permanent performance spot in New York City, New York City, was opened on Nassau Street. It was literally called the Theater on Nassau Street. Creative. It was made of wood and seated about 280 people. It was built and run by two actor managers, Thomas Keene and Walter Murray. They primarily perform Shakespeare's plays. There's not really a whole lot of information about this original theater, but some historians have like made educated guesses on what it probably would have been like just based on the time and based on like pamphlets or whatever they could find about it. And this is quoting one of those historians right now. It may have been either a warehouse or a brewery or both. So they were doing drunk Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was probably fitted up with a stage at one end with benches in front of it and a raised gallery at the rear for the common folk. Murray and Keene made a significant addition to their New York playhouse. They added boxes along the side walls, not only to increase the seating, which was a sign that they attained a moderate success at least, but also to provide a special place for the elite of the city. So they started the whole like box seating. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they officially started it, but they had it there. Okay. They might have taken the idea from somewhere else. But despite their moderate success or whatever they had, by 1754, that theater was torn torn down and replaced with a church. By 1798, the first world-class performance space was built on, oh boy, Chatham Street. That's probably right, Chatham Street. It was called the Park Theater, and it could hold about 2,000 people, and it made the surrounding area the hip spot in the city. Ooh. Yeah. The history of Broadway kind of like traces the history of the popular spots in Manhattan. That's cool. 
because at the start, theaters would like attract the upper class. They would attract the pop, like the popular spot would be where the theater happened to be because there wasn't, you know, mass transit. There weren't buses or the subway. So like it was hard to travel through Manhattan. So they would just, there would be a theater and then everyone would be like, I want to live next to the theater. And then that kind of like sprung up. But as travel increased, theaters would like move around to wherever the people decided to live. So like pretty much tracing the history of the popular theaters is tracing the history of the popular neighborhoods in Manhattan. Cool. Yeah. Seating at the Park Theater was tiered, so the theater attracted a large audience. Everyone could go, sit with people in similar economic classes as them, and That's then what's important. And then leave without having to mingle with anyone else. Oh dear God, it's like <laughs> your dream. <laughs> Not the economic, it's just the mingling with people. <laughs> yes, that is my dream. Often, the steady noise from a rowdy crowd would drown out the actual performance on stage. Yeah, that would be so obnoxious. Yeah, because, I mean, this is before, like, speakers and microphones, really. I mean, oh they had them, but, God. like, it wasn't common, so it was just, like, actors having to talk loud. I would be so pissed. <laughs> My favorite part is, surprisingly, most of the disruption came from the people in the rich seats. Is that really surprising? <laughs> I mean, so I guess, like, when you originally say that, you would think, like, oh, it's those working folk who are just, like, rowdy and didn't know how to behave properly in a theater. But, nope, it's the really fancy rich people. Of course, because they only care about themselves. Yeah. Well, they thought it was their social duty to express their feelings about the shows or performance. Exactly. They <laughs> only care about themselves <laughs> and what they think. Oh, my God. They would throw fruits, nuts, and other things at the actors. To be nice or to be mean? No, to like show their disapproval. Oh my God. You think an actor <laughs> just wants a snack of a fruit in the middle of a show? I so mean, <laughs> I can say yes. Sometimes <laughs> you just want a snack. <laughs> Prostitutes would wander among the rich seats offering services during the middle of a show. Oh my God. I don't like it. This led to a lot of New York City pastors calling theaters foyers of hell and urging their congregations to stay far away from them. <laughs> you know what? I don't blame them. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. At this point, it wasn't like the pinnacle of morality. Like There was, there was some shady stuff happening in these shows. Aye, aye. As minstrel shows gained popularity, the Park Theater held on to its reputation of more dignified performances of European talent. The Park Theater was destroyed by a fire in 1848, and the owners opted not to rebuild it since the upper-class clientele had moved on to other neighborhoods by that point. But the success of the Park Theater led to a boom of theaters being operated in the city, like the Bowery Theater and the a Astor Place Opera House. I like that one. The Astor Place? Yep. All right. Well, we're about to learn a little bit more about those two. <gasps> cool. The Bowery and the Astor had two completely different clientele. The Bowery was for working-class people. The Astor was for the upper class. Oh, no, I'm worried. <laughs> Probably should have guessed with the whole opera house thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. In 1849, both theaters were showing Macbeth, and there was a real rivalry between the two actors in the plays. The Bowery had Edwin Forrest, who was really popular with the working class. The Astor had William MacReady, who was a British man who was adored by the rich people. They thought he was, like, the best actor in the world. Which, I mean, he might have been. I don't know. With the rising tide of anti-British thought, the Bowery audience went to the Astor and threw eggs, fruit, and even seats at MacReady. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So all the working class people just decided to make a fun night of throwing things at the rich people actor. <laughs> when that happened, like during that, the rich people of the Astor were said to be thumbing their noses at the poor Bowery folks. Which, like... What's, what's that mean? Like, it's literally like putting your thumb on your nose and like holding so it up. It's, it's, it's the middle finger. Yeah, essentially, of the time. But like... You literally went to their show and threw chairs at an actor. Like, you deserve it a little bit. <laughs> I'm all for, like, taking down the rich, but, like, not by throwing stuff <laughs> at an actor. Like, you kind of deserve to be. Uh, whatever. Okay. Uh, but that enticed them even further. So the the Bowery Theater people didn't like that that much. A few months, A few months later... 20,000 working class people descended on the Aster and proceeded to have a riot outside while MacRaddy was performing Macbeth inside. At the peak of this riot, the police began firing into the crowd, killing 22 and wounding over 150. <laughs> I think it's safe to say no one handled that situation well. To quote Robert W. Snyder in the Encyclopedia of New York City, after the Astor Place riot of 1849, entertainment in New York City was divided along class lines. Which, I mean, it kind of seemed like it was before, but yeah, whatever, Mr. Snyder. I think classism has been around for a long <laughs> time. I mean, there was literally a riot based on classes right before this. I don't know. That was because of anti-British thought. <laughs> Anti-European thought. Get your facts straight. Okay, sorry. You want to switch seats? You want to do this? Yeah. Part? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Opera was chiefly for the upper middle and upper classes. Minstrel shows and melodramas were for the middle class variety shows, and concert saloons for men of the working class and the slumming middle class. Slumming middle yeah. class. Yeah, so I guess just people who like, I'm middle class, but I want to be with those other guys. With the population continuing to increase, the demand for more and more varying entertainment grew. This led to the explosion of more plays, not just recreations of Shakespeare's plays. So this is when we started to see like more actually created plays. I love that. In 1841, which was a little bit before the or the Astor Place riot, P.T. Barnum opened his first entertainment venue in Lower Manhattan, calling it a museum, which made the people that were too embarrassed to go to a theater feel good about it. So other theaters started calling their theaters a museum, even though it was just a theater. It was around this time, which was like the middle of the century, 1850-ish, that musicals first started to be performed. The Elves became the first ever long-run musical to play in New York since it played for 50 performances. I don't I know really know. One. I don't either. I didn't really look anything into that. Why? <laughs> there That's were other ones. Job. Well, it was li literally a sentence in my script, so okay. I looked into other stuff. In 1866, The Black Crook became the first of what we would consider a modern musical, meaning it had like original songs and dances associated with it. It was five and a half hours long. Yeah, <laughs> you would not go see that with me. <laughs> and it ran for over 400 performances. According to some, the main draw wasn't the actual play itself. It was the attractive female dancers that it featured. Heck yeah, ladies. Get it. Here's one of the hit songs from The Black Crook. Go and get to see some dumb attractive ladies. No, it's not a performance. It's just like a lyric video. Oh. <laughs> I guess they couldn't record it, could they? Um, no, but I mean, you could have recorded like later versions, but I didn't really look for that. Uh, it's The song is called You Naughty Naughty Men. It's I'm so <laughs> happy. <laughs> it's 
performed by someone named Libby Dees and Adam Roberts. I think it's like a later recording. Like this isn't from that time. This is like from modern times. Someone just recording a song. I will never more deceive you or of happiness bereave you, but I'll die and make you grieve you. Oh, you naughty, naughty man. You may talk as I'm <laughs> sighing. Say for us, you're nearly dying. All the while, you know you're trying to deceive you, naughty men. You may talk of love and sighing. Say for us, you're nearly dying. All the while, you know Since you're this is like a more modern version, I don't know if this is how men. they would sing it back then. I, I would imagine. Probably. But I don't know if she like took more modern to influence and like kind of threw that acting into the way she's singing it. If you know what I mean. I do. I would think that based on the styles that we heard before, like kind of speak singing was kind of common. Yeah, so that's like fair. the whole like acting singing yeah. would probably have been the style. Yeah, it's just this sounds like a very like modern rendition of it. So I wonder if like back before musicals were a thing, if they like still did that. But I don't know. You're probably right. They probably did. Naughty, naughty yeah. men. That's your naughty, naughty <laughs> men. I love it so much. It was also around this time that shows started to move to the actual Broadway street due to low rent prices there. Union Square became the heart of Broadway. And as travel became easier, the class distinction in theaters started to lessen. Anyone could go to a theater. You didn't just have to go to the one in your neighborhood. Also, there were fewer prostitutes working in the audience, so more women started coming to the shows. That's great. Yeah, it's weird that they didn't want to go when the prostitutes were there. <laughs> I'm going to take a brief pause here to talk about maybe the two most influential people in modern theater. Okay. You'll have to tell me if you know these guys. Okay. Because you might. Modern theater? Yes. Like okay. They aren't necessarily modern, but they've probably done more to influence modern theater than anyone else. Names are Gilbert and Sullivan. Ringing any bells? Maybe. Okay. I looked at their plays and I didn't really know any of them, but I don't know as much about musical theater as you. So, They were two British writers, and they created a formula that Broadway shows started to copy. They would write original catchy melodies and pair it with witty satire. They wrote 14 shows together in 25 years, and each one became like a smash hit on Broadway and in London. They are probably the two people most responsible for the modern Broadway shows we have today. I mean, other than the people who wrote the shows that are playing today, but <laughs> <laughs> they, they're all take influence from Gilbert and Sullivan. Gilbert wrote the script and Sullivan wrote the music to their shows. They were first brought together by a producer in 1871 to create a, like, a Christmas show. That Christmas show ran for a long time and beat out all of the, all of the competition, but no one suspected that that was the start of what would be like a major partnership. It was hastily put together, and it was more risque than their later works. Over the next three years, they both produced great work, but separately. In 1874, they were put back together again for a show called Trial by Jury. After, su after the success of that show, demand for, the joint, demand for joint projects from the two skyrocketed. Their work has been hugely influential in the English-speaking world. They came up with the phrase, let the punishment fit the crime, among many others that I didn't really know, but are apparently still used today. <laughs> like what? What's the best one? I, I mean, I don't have them written down. Oh. <laughs> I can look it up real quick. Do it. Okay. Hold on. Do, 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 do. Can we sing that? 
Uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, Why not? <laughs> we've done worse on this podcast, and we haven't been hit yet. A policeman's lot is not a happy one. That's true. Yep, it's apparently one of their phrases that is still popular. What never? Well, hardly ever. I've heard that. Yeah. Short, sharp, shock. I'm sorry? Short, sharp, shock. That's like one of the tongue twisters that you do before a show. <laughs> well, Practice uh-huh. enunciating. Those are the those are the ones that are listed on Wikipedia. So yeah, those are their I phrases their they come shows. up with. What shows did they do? We're getting, we'll talk about at least one. I'm getting okay. there. Um, if we don't, if that doesn't fulfill you, then we'll go back and look at some of their other ones. Okay. <laughs> uh... A lot of the most famous playwrights and composers list them as influences, including Irving Berlin, who wrote White Christmas, among other things. Andrew Lloyd Webber, who wrote Cats, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Phantom of the Opera. And Oscar Hammerstein, who wrote Oklahoma and The King and I. Oklahoma. (laughs) They influence politics, musicals, comedy, and pretty much everything at the time. Because a lot of their plays were like political in nature, so they took people took those plays and used it to like influence politics, which is kind of crazy. I love it. The two didn't necessarily like working together. <laughs> they each <laughs> thought that the other was holding them back. Oh my gosh! They each thought that their work was being subjugated to the others. Drama queens. And they're like literally two completely different personalities. Gilbert was notoriously thin-skinned and confrontational, and he was always quick to fight whoever. Sullivan ran away from any conflict. He hated it. Gilbert kept writing ridiculous situations for comedy, while Sullivan wanted to write realistic and emotional content. Gilbert would make fun of and satirize the rich and powerful, which were exactly the kind of people Sullivan liked hanging out with. Yin and yang. (laughs) They just, they weren't. I mean, they wrote great stuff together, but they weren't good together. Richard Cart, who's a producer who opened the Savoy Theater, which was a theater specifically created to showcase Gilbert and Sullivan works, met with some good old-fashioned Gilbert criticism in 1890. During a run of the show The Gondoliers, Cart charged Gilbert and Sullivan 500 pounds from the portion of the show's profit that was owed to Gilbert and Sullivan to re-carpet the theater. So he was like, I'm supposed to pay you guys this money, but I'm not going to because I have to recarpet the theater. Gilbert, maybe rightfully so, thought this was a maintenance expense, and Gilbert and Sullivan shouldn't have to pay for it. Cart refused to reconsider the expenses, so Gilbert stormed out, and he later wrote to Sullivan, I left him with the remark that it was a mistake to kick down the ladder by which he had risen. Ooh. Yeah. He was so proud of that. Oh, he yeah, like replayed sure. that moment in his <laughs> mind as he went to sleep for the next like month. <laughs> for sure. Things escalated and eventually went to trial. Sullivan supported Cart and lied in an affidavit, which oh led Gilbert to write, the time for putting an end to our collaboration has at last arrived, which is <laughs> pretty polite considering the circumstances. Oh, my God. Gilbert eventually won the lawsuit, but the damage was done. Each would go on to write with other people until Cart realized his financial mistake and begged them to get back together. <laughs> he was unsuccess- unsuccessful, but their publisher managed to reconcile them, and they wrote two more plays together after that. But it was never the same. They were already contentious, and this just pushed them over the edge. 
One of Gilbert and Sullivan's most loved songs is the Major General's song from the Pirates of Penzance. I do not know that. You don't know I don't think one? I know that. I think I rec like when I was looking at this, I think I recognized the tune of this song. Okay. I don't know from where. Cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's another one. Pretty impressive. This is fun. I'm very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the. He looks so confused. I love it. Major general. Okay, yeah. I think I knew that because. I've watched a lot of Neil Patrick Harris's opens for the Tony Awards, and I think at one point he did, like, a version of that, like, inserting his own lyrics, but it was like that. That's awesome. I think that's where I know it from. Like, I've been racking my mind, and that's the only thing I can come up with. I wonder if we can find it. This is going to make you a little upset. Oh, no. Around 1900, princess theater shows became popular. They were musical plays set in modern times. That's literally all of the information I could come up with about no! Princess. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> I knew you would want to know more about Princess Theater. And I searched so long, and I could not find any more information ah. other than that. Like, the only thing that was coming up was, like, theaters that were named Princess Theater and stuff like that. I could not come up with anything else about it. And I knew it would make you mad, but I couldn't help it. Any of you musical theater people out there, you've studied it, just... Yes. Or know any more information other than that one sentence I just said. I really want to know. I'm going to ask a few of my friends who majored in it. Okay. Do that. We'll add it to a correction corner at the end of the next episode. In 1906, one of the Princess Theater shows called The Red Mill became the first Broadway show to have its own sign with bright lights. Other shows realized how powerful that was as a marketing tactic, and the popularization of the electric bulb made it possible for them all to have their own signs. That's so fun! Yeah, so Broadway soon became known as the Great White Way because of all of the bright white lights lining the street. Did it start the whole, like... Yep, that was the start of the elaborate bright signs that all Broadway shows seem to have now. That's so cool! Yeah. In the 1920s, theaters started to experience a low period with the birth of talkies, or movies with sound. The shows that survived were the ones that didn't rely on plot, but focused on the lead actor and actress and was almost exclusively song and dance. The music of the Roaring Twenties infiltrated Broadway and changed the style of the show. This is where we got shows like the Rockettes and stuff that aren't necessarily story-driven and instead are more like big band dances and that kind of stuff. In 1927, the musical Showboat was very successful and was the first musical that allowed drama to get back into Broadway. Nice job, Showboat. <laughs> Do you know Showboat? I've heard of it. Yeah. It's, I think I've heard of it because I think it's like a TV show from like the 50s and 60s. I don't know the play at all. As America hit the Great Depression, Broadway hit its golden years. During this time, for the first time, we get to see shows that played a ridiculously long time, like Oklahoma came out a bit after the Great Depression which in like the early 1940s. Broadway is intense. It's a long and storied history and it's impossible to like do enough justice to it in just this short episode which is why I kind of talked about wanting to make it a whole season. I think that would be fun. I think it would be fun too. Because there's a lot of like we didn't get to really talk about the backstory behind like any plays or any specific people really in this one. Yeah. So like 
It'd be kind of cool to just take a bigger step back and like look more in depth at certain people throughout. So I don't know. I think it'd be a fun maybe mini season or season or something. All right. Well, I mean, that's all I had for Broadway. That's fun. Next week, we'll talk about one particular theater manager that I think you'll really like. Cool. Yeah. It's like the first major female theater manager. Heck yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. She's really cool. I'm excited. All right. So that's all I have about Broadway. What are your thoughts about the birth of Broadway? How much of that did you know? Not a lot. All right. I knew none of it before researching, so. I feel like I know more about, like, specific shows and, like, a little bit more recent. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, like, recent, recent, but, like, more recent than the very first Broadway (laughs) show. (laughs) You didn't know you naughty, naughty men? I did not know you naughty, naughty men, but I think we need a revival. (laughs) It's going on your Spotify playlist now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right, well, that was Broadway. Real quick. We're going to enter the correction corner. Correction corner. (laughs) This is where Nick got stuff wrong. (laughs) This is where we both got stuff wrong. Oh, what? I don't know. I don't claim to know anything. That's true. What are you talking about? You can still get stuff wrong without knowing stuff. Okay. This, no one pointed this out. It was just something I was like, I wonder what it actually is when I was like listening back to an episode. In the episode about vaudeville, we talked about BF Keith and EF Albie. And we, I mean, admittedly, jokingly, said their middle names were both Frank. So I just wanted to say, I was like, I wonder what their middle names actually are. B.F. Keith was actually Benjamin Franklin Keith. Ooh. And E.F. Albee was actually Edward Franklin Albee II. So they were both Franklin instead of both Frank. We were so close. (laughs) We were really close. That's hilarious. (laughs) I forgot Franklin was actually, like, because of the whole Benjamin Franklin thing, was probably a very popular name back then. That's awesome. Right, well, that, I mean, that was it for Correction Corner, too. It's no more one like has Trivia Corner. No one has, like, pointed anything out on Twitter about stuff I got wrong. So, as far as I know, I've been completely 100% accurate on so everything. So accurate. <laughs> <laughs> if I haven't been, let me know so you can add your say to the Correction Corner. All right. So, next week, we'll talk about Laura Keene. And you'll get to hear about her story a little bit. I cannot wait to meet her. All right. Well, thanks for tuning into the Sound of History, guys. We will see you later.